Hello, one and all. Welcome to another episode of The B-Side. We are a podcast for the Film Stage website. Here we talk about movie stars, not the movies that made them famous or kept them famous, but the ones that they made in between. And today, it's just me and Connor. And we're talking about Gerard Butler. And there's someone to blame for this. Let's just, right off the bat, Connor's not happy. So... A couple weeks ago, a week ago, something like that, we posted a poll on Twitter, and we basically were like, hey, we're, we need a topic for our next episode. Should we stay topical? Do Gerard Butler, because he has the movie Angel Has Fallen coming out, which if you're listening is most likely out in theaters right now. Should we do Angela Bassett, who is somebody we've been wanting to do, planning to do? Um, and in truth, I had thought was in... Angel has fallen because she was in the first two Fallens. And she's she's, she's not. not actually. So yeah. that's interesting. Now maybe she died in London has fallen. Honestly, I don't. I've saw it. I, now that I'm saying it, it's very possible she perished in that film. They should have called it Angie. Has Angie fallen. has fallen. It's, so uh, that she so it was Gerard Butler, Angie Bassett, and then our third one was Cuny free for all. Kind of talk about some comment. You know, some comments from Twitter and other social. Uh, you know, Facebook and whatnot. Um, over the course of the last year of doing the podcast that you guys have said um, other like minor things we wanted to talk about so that we'll probably still do that at some point frankly I mean we're going to probably do Angela Bassett very soon because basically yeah. what happened is Angie was winning and by, by miles by our a country mile co-worker and now person we hate Richie <laughs> Filippi who if you're listening you know who you are he realized that he wanted it to be uh, Jerry B. He realized Jerry B was losing and he credit to him for this. He gathered the troops quite literally. He, he, you know, he is a producer in LA. He gathered his friends. He reached out to Gerard Butler fan sites, which he said was hard to do because a lot of them are defunct. I mean, obviously Gerard is, you know, he's been around for a while. Yeah, He's been around yeah. for a while. Yeah. I don't know that he's a new star in, in an exciting way, you know, that would warrant a, a, a fan site. But anyway, he got the word out and, Within hours and within and with only hours to go in the poll, Gerard, Gerard Butler is back up. We did our damnedest on our end to get the votes for Angie, and we I give us credit did an admirable admirable job. But ultimately, Gerard won by a couple of votes. So we are doing them because we're not liars. A poll's a poll. Yeah, look, the numbers were Job's there. A job, yeah, by one percent, one fucking percent. So Jerry, Jerry B. Yeah. Now. He is from Scotland. He was born in 1969. I kind of like that, actually. I kind of like that we're doing him right after Pierce Brosnan because it is this thing of, you know, this handsome Irish actor and now this handsome Scottish actor, right? You know, Gerard Butler was in a James Bond movie, a Pierce Brosnan James Bond movie. He played like one of the sea, like, like kind of like yeah. a seaman, henchman. In Tomorrow Never Dies. That was one of his first credited on-screen roles. So he's turning 50 this year, Gerard Butler. And, you know, as we all probably know, his movie star breakout was the movie 300 in March 2007. You remember 300, Connor? Remember that movie 300? No, can you? I've never heard of it. So back in the day, there was this battle. And there were 300 dudes. So they were Spartans. Mm. And there was thousands of these other guys. And they didn't win they won 
all died but one? No, they. Yeah, they, they won. They no, no, no. They lost. They lost. That's the whole. No, no. Right. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. I'm confusing myself. They lost and they all died. Right, but for the sake of being able to tell the story and then rally the Greeks to. Right. Kind of like an Alamo situation. Sort of. Yeah. Okay. Right. Clearly, that movie has done a lot for me over the years. I remember <laughs> it fondly. Um, I. I mean, I do remember seeing it. Yeah. I was in college yep. and we had beers. Right. Right. Like yeah, that. Yeah. You know. And we, um, I, I can't remember if I liked it. I, I must, it must have affected me, right? I I'm, mean, I mean, look, I, I, again, qualifier. It was that. It was definitely like one of those movies in early, early college where it's like I don't know. You just all the bros loved it, you know, for, yeah. for obvious reasons. But you know, it's it was it felt entertaining, entertaining enough at the time, and then I think. Very quickly, at least for me, I was just like, oh, maybe, maybe I hate this movie. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of. I haven't watched it in a long yeah, time. Yeah, I was going to say, obviously, we didn't watch it for this because th- that's the most A side of all of his sides. Um, but I think it speaks to the Zack Snyder of it all, where it there's definitely something to the movies. But. Can you write a piece or something called the Zack Snyder of it all? But, oh, jeez. I. <laughs> No. <laughs> um, but I think it speaks to what would kind of be a thing with this with Snyder in general where he would make movies, they would generate excitement, a lot of them would make money. There was a technique and an aesthetic and a vision and special effects that worked at the time, but almost were very quickly dated. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking, of course, sucker punches in that world. Watchmen, I feel like his age better in my mind. It's on TV sometimes, and I'll, I'll catch 20 minutes or so of it. And I'm kind of like, you know, this had something to it. I mean, it was a very overly, to some degree, faithful adaptation of, of the graphic novel. Um, so, yeah, just an interesting – I mean, obviously, he had Dawn, Dawn of the Dead before uh, 300, but this is really the beginning of Zack Snyder as, like, you know, auteur, auteur yeah. you know um, – a tour you love or hate and what all that stuff. So 300 comes out. It's a surprise hit. It's a March release. It's 2007. Later that year, he has PS I Love You, which is a really, really weird rom-com that performed okay at the box office, but has a very loyal following of fans. Like that's a movie that has kind of lived on. And I think has a group of, of people who really defend it and, and then love it. And 2008 was pretty soft. Um, you had Nims Island and you had a rock and roller. Which um, our Twitter friend Rachel at Mazzy Ninja asked that we talk about Rock and Roll and Dear Frankie. We're gonna talk about Dear Frankie because I love <laughs> Dear Frankie. But for the sake of appeasing our fans, Rock and Roll. What do we think about Rock and Roll, Guy Ritchie? Yeah, I remember. Okay, now so I also didn't. It's not technically one of our B sides, so we didn't really. I did not cover it uh, in our in our rewatch. Um, I. I remember basically liking it um, because it – and if I recall correctly, it's like pre-blockbuster filmmaker Guy Ritchie. Yeah, it's it's pretty Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, it's like right before that. Um, I remember It was kind of his comeback. Yeah, it felt like like a return to form Because he had done Swept Away. And Revolver. And Revolver. Which were both kind of big swings in their own right. And big misses. Yeah. And so Rock and Roll was kind of like, oh, he's going back to British crime like and not like existential – not revolving, yeah, yeah, British crime, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you no, know, no. whatever he's doing, um, but like straight up comedy, you know, 
Tarantino-esque bullshit, bullshit, yeah, you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah, and exactly. um, it's a caper. He made a caper. It's a caper, it, yeah. and it's you know in 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 the line of snatch and lock, and stock, lock stock and yeah. the whole thing. I saw it at TIFF with Jordan Raup, and we enjoyed it. I feel like I might have even reviewed it. I don't know. I think I enjoyed it fine. I, yeah, I haven't rewatched have, it, but I remember even liking it fine enough. Yeah, you, you know? have Jer- Jerry Butler is the lead. You have his right-hand man is Idris Elba. Right. They're like third is Tom Hardy. And the whole joke in the movie is Tom Hardy's gay. <gasps> you know, his name is like Handsome Rob or something like that. Handsome Bob. Which is funny because I think that's Statham's name in Italian Job. Oh. Anyway, so it's one of those things. Tom Wilkinson's in it, right? Toby Kebbell is the rock and roller guy. Um, Tandy Newton is right. the yeah. femme fatale fixer. I enjoyed it. I mean, like, yeah, like you, Connor, we didn't rewatch it for this, but um, yeah, I, Guy Ritchie's one of those guys, Ritchie, who <laughs> I. I certainly don't think I defend him because he's. I think he's become a poster child for like, how many chances has Guy Ritchie had after all these flops? Which is, you know, the white male of it all. Sure, I get the criticism. I totally do, but unfortunately, the guy also made Man from Uncle, which I love. So, you know, that's the thing with him. I think he's he can give you a really solid product um, while also giving you, you know, rock and roller, which is I think suffice you know is you know is sufficient you know and then something like swept away or king arthur which is just a miscalculation in terms of what what is the audience looking for in this and, and whatnot even and i i think i remember and not to diverge too far into guy Ritchie, but even even watching like i i think i watched like king arthur on a plane or something which is where you should watch it um and I remember thinking that I didn't even really hate that movie while it was still basically a Guy Ritchie movie. Like when it's when it's Charlie Hunnam and company sort of wheeling and dealing in Camelot, I remember thinking uh that it was that it that it was kind of fun. Um and then when it gets into the big spectacle of it all is kind of where I checked out of that movie. You're talking about King Arthur. Yeah. Yeah, I, there are things Well, it's more specifically King Arthur. Legend Legends of the Sword. Of the sword. How can yeah. I forget? Yeah. yeah, the sword. I mean, the sword is. I mean, the legend of the sword is so crucial to yeah. to the picture. Um, yeah, I tend to agree. Uh, there are things in it that are very interesting, and there's there's a there's a lot of thought behind it. Um, I think we just for a while need to maybe put the direct King Arthur away, <laughs> just because it's clear based on box office receipts sure. that I don't know that people need it right just now. Just put it in the same drawer. You know, as Robin Fu- Hood. Fuqua tried. Yep. Richie tried. I mean, unless like Mira, you know, you're going to give like Mira Nair, you right. know, who we talked about on this podcast, you yeah. know, unless we're going to go, you know, like, yeah, unless like a we super do super interesting yeah. visionary take on it. I yeah. would love to see her, you know, uh, King Arthur adaptation, but unless we're not making a hard, like, let's go this way. Right. Like that is, um, I think was put it to bed for a while, but anyway, sorry. That's 08. That's Rock and Rolla. And then 09, things kind of get a little bit more back in the wheelhouse of a movie star. He has The Ugly Truth, which is the Katherine Heigl rom-com. It's a summer release. It does well. Makes $90 million here. Makes $200 million all told worldwide. Then he has a movie called Gamer, which you we both kind of flip through 
as like a semi B side, we'll talk about for two seconds. Neville Dean Taylor movie. After all, their crank cred, mm-hmm. they made this movie Gamer. Law Abiding Citizen did pretty well. Came out in October of '09. That's Jamie Foxx. That's Gerard Butler. Gamer will say did not do well, but point is, it's in between these two. Basically, you know, middle middle of the road, middle of the road hits for Gerard Butler. And then in 2010, he has Bounty Hunter, which underperforms but still makes money. How to Train Your Dragon, which of course is the beginning of a trilogy of animated films. Where his he, his highest. Uh, yeah, I mean, if yeah. you look at his box office, his highest his highest grossing movies. And then we get into 2011 and 2012, which is where we're talking about. These are our four B sides: yep. Machine Gun Preacher, Coriolanus, Chasing Mavericks, and Playing for Keeps. Coriolanus, Coriolanus. I, I think in the movie they say Coriolanus. I think. Yeah. Um. Now, part of the reason we did this is because these are all very B-sided movies, but also in 2013, he has Olympus Has Fallen, which is like his next hit that re-solidifies him, at least for a little while, as a movie star. So, you know, and of course, once again, Angel Has Fallen is coming out or is out as you're listening to this, which is the third of those very jingoistic, very (laughs) action-packed pro-America movies. Um. So that being said, let's quickly talk about Gamer for f- two minutes. Neville Dean Taylor. Now, I'll say this up the front. I like Neville Dean Taylor. Yeah, I I was just I was like saying, the cranks. I was saying to you earlier. Yeah, I haven't rewatched Crank or Crank Two. I remember really enjoying Crank Two in particular of the two of them. I'm sort of. I, I like liking that movie, so I feel like I don't want to rewatch it because I feel like if I do, I'll just be like disgusted by it and then I'll like hate it and then I'll hate myself for ever liking it. Uh, um, so I've, I'm hesitant to rewatch yeah. it. I probably won't ever. My, but um, my response to you was it, the movie's called Crank. Right. So, so what do you expect? It's inherently, yeah. you know, I mean, you're, it, it is exploited. I mean, it's an exploitation movie sure. almost by design, of yeah. course. And, you know, Neville Dean Taylor obviously made their early career on those types of decisions. So sure, there are things in it. I have I have rewatched it cuz I do I do enjoy the movie a bit. Both of them, uh Crank and Crank 2 High Voltage. Right. But um And Crank 3 Legend of the Sword. Yeah, Crank 3 it didn't it never worked as much for me, but the sword once again yeah. is the problem there. But um I think that the Crank movies do what they do very well. Neville and Taylor have that style, you know, they you know, they would use you know digital cameras and they'd be on skateboards following the action i remember that you know the behind the scenes yeah coverage of that being very interesting and whatnot and i i mean i think there's a there's like an obvious the one thing that makes their movies palpable for me to a certain degree uh particularly the two crank movies and even gamer is they're doing things and they're they're making aesthetic choices um and but there's there is no pretense to it. Like there's no, um, I'm trying to think it. I don't want to compare them to a Zack Snyder cause they're all different filmmakers, but I do think that, that Zack Snyder feels like when he's making aesthetic decisions, um, and they're, you know, he's an auteur, you can like to, to a degree. And so, you can tell when he's making those decisions that are within his own style that he feels it, it feels like he feels like he's imbuing it with something higher. Right. Um, 
and there's a slight, I think, pretentiousness there where that I feel like filmmakers like Natalie and Taylor don't have. Like if you were to ask them about why they made X or Y decision, they're not going to give you some sort of lofty answer. They'll just say, yeah. no, no, because no, it looks cool. And well, like there's there's something a little yeah, very knowing refreshing about, their, about that. Yeah. I, I remember them talking about the way they came up with movies their ideas for movies is they would get bombed at a bar and just talk and be like, what if it was this? And like, I think that might've been in the context of them coming up with gamer, right? You know, which do you want to talk? Do you want to talk about what gamers about? Yeah. So gamer is basically about it. It is set. What, what was it? Um, some years Sometimes, from this yeah. exact moment is is the is some version of what the uh, the opening <laughs> titles are. Which okay, gamer. <laughs> That's a, that needle drop was great in the movie, by the way. Um, no, and basically uh, Gerard Butler plays um, he plays a convict. It is this it is this you know not too distant future where a um, a very sort of maniacal game developing uh, Michael C. Hall. Um, has uh you know we're in a world where he's created essentially an elevated version of uh of the sims called the society and it's essentially built on the you know the idea that you can people can either pay to play or get paid to be a part of it so the idea that you are not playing a video game you are controlling like a real human being right so he Michael C. Hall develops the society. It's like The Sims. It's this gigantic hit. He becomes like a Silicon Valley billionaire overnight, you know, kind of this wonderkind. It's a little weird because I'm not going to dive into him too too much, but it feels like it should be somebody younger, the way they, like, set up that character. Um, I mean, I remember it fe- the best part of the movie, and people have referenced this before, is the towards the end of, of the film. The dance sequence, musical yeah. lip sync moment with Michael C. Hall yeah. to Jerry Butler, that being like the most inspired part. And that's the part of the movie I remember. Yeah. And he's, I mean, he probably is like he. Weird. I remember Keir Sedgwick. Yeah. Logan Lerman is like the actual gamer. Yeah. Who plays, yeah. Who plays Gerard who Butler. Plays as Gerard Butler. Right. So basically, when the movie starts, you know, society, the society was a big hit. And then there's this game called Slayers, which is essentially now sort of taken over the federal prison system where you you know you it's a it's a basically a shooter but you're playing as convicts who are on death row right and the idea being these convicts who sign up for this or or a part of it Gerard, Gerard Butler being one of them um if you can make it through 30 matches um if you can make it through 30 matches you're you're free and clear basically um so when the movie starts we picked up He's like 27 matches in where nobody's ever made it that far. Um, and that's kind of – that's the basic setup. Am yeah, and there's a lot anything? of world building. Milo yeah. Ventimiglia plays a character named Rick Rape. You can guess what he does. You know, it's just – you know, I think Amber Valletta is in the picture. There's a lot of different character actors in there. You know, it's very crude, right? I mean, it's in that design of, of what we said before, the Neville Dean Taylor of it all. Sure. Um, it made 20 million domestic, didn't really perform very well, but you know, an ambitious swing by them. Um, they went on to direct Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance, which I actually, I like a bit. I think it's kind of insane movie, but they basically semi disowned it because I think the studio kind of butted in. Right. So since then they've split and I know Brian Taylor has gone on to direct at least one film of his own. Um, but yeah, I mean, Gamer's one of those weird time capsule movies. 2009 kind of speaks to, 
you know, that was the same time Death Race, the Death Race remake was coming out, you know, with Jason right. Statham. You know, it was that. Very, I mean, very similar in like tone Similar and style. All yeah. I think Hollywood maybe is late August grasping at straws. What do people want to watch, right? That's yeah. kind of what it feels like. Gerard, Gerard Butler's good in the movie. And I think this is a good segue before we talk about our first film, uh, Machine Gun Preacher, what our general Gerard Butler takes are. This is mine. I like him more now than I ever did before. Mm. I I enjoyed Hunter Killer, which came out last year. I enjoyed Den of Thieves a whole lot, which is a it basically lo-fi heat, two hours and twenty minutes long. He's uh, Gerard Butler's the cop, but he's like a corrupt cop, and he's in on this heist and this is whole thing. O'Shea Jackson's in it, Fifty Cent's in it, um, a lot of other people. It's a fun heist movie. So I guess my point is I've been enjoying even like parts of Geostorm. I find fun. The movie's obviously not great by any means. My point, I guess is his programmers nowadays. I find myself enjoying more than I did before. And that might speak to the limited options on the big screen these days. I Well, that's what I was just going to say is I think do m- movies like that hold just hold like a, Built like a special, yeah, like a special place where, like, you you could. And I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to knock Jerry B. I mean, don't knock him. I guess I am a little. I mean, you are. (laughs) Could you put relatively anybody in that movie, and well, and you'd still at least be like, this is going to be because they don't make this anymore. Yeah, Yeah. this is a good question, and this is kind of my second point to that. To me, Gerard Butler is in that world of almost a Richard Burton, where. He he's got he's you know he's got this square jawed handsomeness right middle aged mothers love him right you know like yeah. rugged thing and he kind of always had that almost like the way that Harrison Ford talked about Indiana Jones like the character was packaged worn yeah you know what I mean like in Raiders he's already tired right you right. know and that's You've part of his been, charm like, like he's already too old for it's this like shit. a lived in performance i think jerry b some of that some of his inherent charm as a as a movie star is that he feels like a worn guy you're kind of like oh yeah i like him he seems like you know you you have a drink with this guy he doesn't really give a shit you know has he been to acting school who cares you know what i mean he seems like one of those guys so i think at his most appealing He's playing those roguish characters. Like, and look, PS I Love You is a great example. I think the reason that movie works the way when it does work for the people it works for is he's, you know, writing these letters. He's obviously that movie he has passed on, I think even before the movie started at the very beginning. And his presence as this fun loving, you know, not ghost, but you know, memory essentially, he plays into it really well. And, you know, and even, you know, when you're thinking about, um, and we'll talk about some of these movies, but 300 has a little bit of that. Obviously, it's a little bit more stoic, but he's got a bit of swagger in that. And then a movie like Dear Frankie, which we'll talk about briefly a little later on, he's also playing stoic, but with a glint in his eye. And it's kind of merging those two things. So that can work. and he And he can work as that soldier character to some degree with a playful attitude i think when he 
plays it a little too earnest, he runs into problems. And I think Machine Gun Preacher is the ultimate example of that problem. Yeah, I agree. So directed by Mark Foster. It was a blacklist script. Jason Keller wrote it. You know, kind of hot to be produced. Interesting subject matter, without a doubt. I mean, the title itself, I feel like reads well on the page. I feel like Machine Gun Preacher, but on a movie poster... I don't know that it ever read well. It it feels like a it feels like a B movie on a movie poster. Yeah, and it feels almost like a fake movie, right? Like Machine Gun Preacher. You're like, oh, like like something Asylum would put out. Right. That's what kind of what you're saying, right? And it's an Oscar. I mean, it's a dramatic movie, and he's the anchor. And I don't know that he ever really grasps his his hands around what he's all the nuances or, or presumed nuances of this character. Um, I'll let you, you want to talk about like just yeah. the general context of this. Cause there's a lot of other stuff we'll talk about. In terms yeah. Of the, the truthiness of this. Yeah. Movie, there's but. a, there's a whole bunch to unpack with it for sure. But um, basically it's about uh true story um, based on this, uh, this man, Sam Childers uh, who basically had you know rough tough guy life of you know he was i believe part of a i don't know if he was necessarily part of a biker gang but he was like a biker tough guy who basically had gone to prison he you know was addicted to drugs um and was a criminal like he was you know he was living a, a rough a rough life um and then basically essentially gets out of prison and to a certain degree finds god and is sort of compelled to go to South Sudan and uh, and build a church there, right? And or sorry, an orphanage rather, because he he hears about what's happening uh, from from somebody who speaks at his local church, and he decides that he wants to go essentially, and um, and basically just kind of goes, obviously, you know, to a certain degree at the expense of his wife and daughter. Uh, his wife played here by uh, Michelle Monaghan. The great Michelle yeah, Monaghan. Yeah, the tr- just truly underserved throughout her entire career almost. I, I know. Like. It's such a, um, I'd like to speak with her representation. Yeah, <laughs> have a word or two. Um, and, you know, movie follows him as he comes back and forth between Africa and uh, he's right outside Pittsburgh, I believe. Right? Yeah, middle Pennsylvania. Yeah. I mean, he was grew up in middle America, wound up in Pennsylvania. I think he was involved in biker gangs um, to a pretty you know, intense degree. And I think uh, everything you've said that's in the movie is basically true, whereas to, to the best he of did my go to jail. Yeah. He was the type of guy who would rob drug dealers right and this is by his own admission he claimed to have gotten to a situation where he ended up stabbing this homeless guy which you know i I guess they never i i I, now look i have not read the guy's autobiography i i don't know that in real life they ever corroborated that but in the movie gerard baller who's playing children stabs him 40 times and you're just like could anyone live and i guess people could but it does not look good for that. Yeah, the guy. point is it basically go like the reason it doesn't become a thing in the movie, and his the his friend, survives. yeah, his friend who's played here by Michael Shannon, Michael Shannon, um, who I think it doesn't an okay job in this. Yeah, movie. Michael Shannon's good in this. Yeah, I mean, you almost and I was reading the you know like I like I usually do. I read the New York Times review, um, 
of Machine Gun Preacher by Mr. A.O. Scott, the great A.O. Scott, the great Michelle Monaghan, the great A.O. Scott. Um, and he makes a good point. He almost says you'd almost want to watch Michael Shannon and Michelle Monaghan like, play out their roles a little bit more than sure. Jerry B., yeah. which I think is an honest criticism. And No, so hang on. So this brings me to kind of what I wanted to talk about when you were talking about General Gerard Butler takes is like, can he carry a movie? Yeah, as you just said, I realized I did not ask you to for your Jerry Butler. No, no, no. Yeah, so use that. Like that, I just, it's sort of a question. I don't really have an answer. I think he can, can't he? I guess 300. And we'll talk about Coriolanus. Yeah. He's almost, I think, the soul of that one. Sure, but he's not carrying it. True. We'll get to that. And true, dear Frankie, he's also coming in literally 35 minutes in. The Vanishing, which we'll talk about, which is a newer movie, which I really enjoyed. He's got Peter Mullen. Kind of doing to a lot bounce of, off. A lot of That's kind of my point, and it's. I feel like the same goes here because there. Anytime you're, like, anytime you're with Michelle Monaghan or Michael Shannon, there is something magnetic about them and, and how they interact with them. But also because obviously they're both you know great performers. Um, but this is just this rests so heavy on his shoulders, and I think so, he, I think very he kind true. of crumbles underneath it a little bit. Um. Not to mention it's it's you know it's tough because this movie, I mean it gets it, granted it's a movie called Machine Gun Preacher so like what like what do you expect I guess but it it goes so far into just like the self righteousness of it all that and I don't know how much the movie knows it like there were you can read you know there were interviews with Mark Forster right around when the movie came out yeah there's an indiewire interview we can link to in the in the in the article and he kind of talks about it a little bit in that interview but it almost feels like backpedaling it, it almost feels like he's like backing the movie into this like retrofitted statement on the movie that he's kind of thought up cuz I don't think the movie feels aware enough of like how unlikable Gerard Butler is well, in this movie. <laughs> so credit to Mark Foster for, and the movie, you know, Jason Keller and everybody else for, yeah, Sam Shilders is not presented in some like overly canonized light. No, and, no. And I don't think that the real Sam Shilders expects that or wants that. With that said, if you read about the real man and there are different articles and once again we can kind of link to a couple of them there's an article from vanity fair called get coney uh joseph coney was the leader of this this terrible group of the the uh sorry i'm just reading it here the lra i believe yeah he's the he was the leader of the lra then that's the name of the article is get coney and it basically it's kind of half a, it's basically a profile of Childers in the context of Southern Sudan and these atrocities. And in the, in Childers autobiography, he basically talks about going to war with Coney's men, killing some of them, you know, becoming a soldier in his own right, you know, along with this guy who owns this orf- orphanage. So kind of, you know, for a religious person, kind of hard to justify both things, which obviously obviously based on the title and the movie. The movie is trying to wrestle with this idea. Unfortunately, there are conflicting reports that kind of claim a lot of what Childers has said is over the top, exaggerated, some of it patently false. There's an article from um, 
foreignpolicy.com I'm reading called Machine Gun Menace that came out when the movie came out that kind of details there's just these other uh, other humanitarian people groups in the area who basically say that the guy's basically half a liar and his vigilante ways actually hurt the cause a lot of the time because it puts a target on a lot of people's backs whereas opposed to no guns don't fight back right try to talk people down no, which obviously doesn't always work, and the right. movie tries to acknowledge that. I think what you're saying, Connor, is the movie never really takes a stand, and I think ultimately feels like it's very much okay with the way Childers is doing these things. Right. But at the same time, we see how complicated and conflicted he is himself, and really not very morally good ever. Right, and I feel like he never gives it, or at least the character in the movie, right? Like, yeah. never gives it, and I guess the movie, by that connection, like, never really gives it the right amount of self-reflection. Because it's not uninteresting. Like, he's a co- clearly a complicated dude. Like, obviously, the di- like what you just talked about, like, the violence with this dude who's found God, right? Like, the dichotomy of those two things and that conflict can certainly be, like, an interesting thing. It all, And I, I think the other thing, too, is, like, the movie recognizes, I think, the problematic like white savior complex that that yes, Sam Childers kind of And in that has. interview, Forster talks about the IndyWire interview. Forster talks about it. The name of his book, by the way, is called Childers' book. is called Another Man's War, and that's the thing. That book got criticized for just hyperbole, frankly. And you know, this is a guy who is. It's hard. It's that religion. Well, I'll be honest. It's not that hard. You know, it's it's hard because. The intention is there, and the movie tries to to absorb it and acknowledge it, but ultimately he comes across like an irresponsible bad. person. Yeah, he, like bad. Like it just like there's a not scene, to mention the, the, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Just there's a sequence in the movie where he's talking to some of the local officials there about wanting to build this orphanage uh, that he essentially claims you know God came to him in a dream and told him to build it basically. And he's like, I have to build it right in this one particular spot. And because of the violence in the area and the danger, they were like, no, 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 no. Like, don't build it there. Like, that's just that'll that'll be a nightmare for trouble. Yeah, just build it somewhere else. Build it over here. Build it wherever you want in this area. And they kind of go through it. And he just basically is like, no, I'm building it there. And it's just it's indicative of 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 that kind of that that uh that sort of problematic thinking he has where he's just like, look, you live here, you know the people and the culture, but like, fuck it, I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah, right? it's like, you. what are you talking and, about? Right. And I don't, like, the problem is, I don't necessarily think the like that's in the movie deliberately, right? So clearly it's meant to be put on display for us to consider and be like, oh, look at what he's doing and like, you know, how potentially dangerous. Yeah, this guy's being a little it. rash. Right. <laughs> I just don't think the movie, it's like the movie kind of starts pushing it up the hill but but somehow like you said doesn't really take a stand one way or the other and, I think and winds part up being of kind of noncommittal about it. And to your it. point earlier, and to your point earlier, I think part of it's Jared Butler's fault. I don't think he can manage the complexity quite enough. And to your and you know, so bringing it back to that Kenny Carey movie, in this case, in the case of Machine Gun Preacher, no. No he cannot. And that and look, this movie of the four we're talking about, this is certainly my least favorite. Mark Forster is an interesting director. Though there are editing choices here that are baffling, Connor tweeted uh, a clip that you can find if you go on his, you know, scruffy looking um, 
where it's just there's there's almost like they didn't have coverage for the end of a scene where one guy invites Gerard Butler to a barbecue and the shot is on their waistlines and like the gentleman's desk. Yeah. And it holds for five minutes over audio about another thing. Right. It's it not like what's on the desk it literally is, is relevant. feels like they're in the editing room and Foster's like, Oh, we didn't get anything else for that. Yeah. Well, I guess we got to, cause they needed the, sh- you need the invitation to the barbecue for the context of the movie, I guess. Sure. So it was just weird stuff like that, that that's just formally tough, but also thematically it just never. And even the ending is, is, is very clearly, not an ending, right? I mean, Childers no, it, is still alive. It basically ends on an ellipsis. Yeah, and there is no, by the way, there is like no reconciliation with his wife or his daughter. They, or, the daughter and him like have a phone call. Okay. <laughs> no, I know, I know, but I agree with you. It's like, it's, and it's, and it's, it comes right on the tail end of like the climax, the movie to a certain degree is this, is this, you know, or the I, I should say, like the emotional climax of the movie, is this moment between Michelle Monaghan and uh, and his daughter. And who's the actor who plays the daughter? Um, it is. While you pull that up, I will just say, I would say if if you have the film stage article, the podcast article handy, give Madeline Carroll, Madeline Carroll, yeah. give give the Vanity Fair article, get Coney a read. It's very interesting. It kind of, in a nice way talks about everything that the movies you know tries to cover and i think in a lot of ways is kind of more compelling than the movie itself but now sorry no no but basically so they have this blow up and she essentially out and you know uh his daughter out and out it's just like you love those black babies more than you love me and uh and it that's like the emotional blow up and then they share one phone call once he's back in sudan but it's like one of those things where yeah, but he goes back. You know what I mean? And it's like he, he yeah, goes, he goes back, and we don't see him come back home, right? And no, obviously, in real life, he has. He has. And he's still with his wife in real life. <sighs> yeah, no, I agree with you. Of course, Michelle Monaghan sim- also wasted. I think, like you mentioned, she does better work than Butler, but she's one of those people. Maybe we'll do a you know a almost movie star of her one day. Sure. I love her. I think she's a great actress. I loved her in True Detective season one. Obviously, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. She made a little indie movie called Trucker that nobody saw that I think she's lovely in. So she's put in really good work over the years. But I think, unfortunately, this is a great example. Of, you know, She's made a couple movies like these that just don't hit. And you watch it, and she's giving it her all, and you're like, ugh. There's just not enough here, and what can you do? I mean, Shannon obviously went on to you know, be Shannon, Michael Shannon, and he's doing, you know, also some compelling work. And he was already nominated for an Oscar at this point. Was that was he already nominated for, for Revolution? Revolution You're right. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, he's already kind of in another place there. But that's machine gun preacher. You know, it's not it's just he's got a machine gun. He does preach. I mean you do get yes. the title does not lie. No. He does both of a those lot things. Of machine guns and a couple a lot, of preaches. Very preachy. A lot of preachy. I think I said to you, Dan, that this this movie is basically like just two steps away from being a U2 song. Like that's how yeah. self-righteous it yeah. is. Yeah, just like the end of Brothers. It's just, yeah. Machine gun preacher, just was, like really good. like. Is yeah, Bono that was like, here? Bono. So only months later, months, he's in one of his best movies. Yeah, I I would dare say, uh, in terms of his performances and his right. contributions to a movie, it's his best. I think this is his best performance. Directed by Ray Vines, Ralph Vines, mm-hmm. Rafe Ralph Vines, written by William Shakespeare, 
Have you heard of him? And also adapted by Johnny Logan. Yes. Who we love. Yeah. Who we love on this podcast. Little movie called Coriolanus. 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 We're going to go back and forth, so just bear with no, us. No, no, I, I can't it. wait for it. Um, This is one of William Shakespeare's last tragedies he wrote. It is a- Or didn't write, depending on who you Ayo. ask. <laughs> what, what's the name of that movie? The Roland or- uh, Yeah, Roland, right? Roland Emmerich. It, no? Is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, Roland, Roland Emmerich. Emmerich. Um, Anonymous? Anonymous, yeah. Ooh. That's a movie that got made, baby. Anonymous. So- Coriolanus is based, like we said, on the Shakespeare tragedy, and um, it is the the play is based on the life of the real life general whose name I just want to make sure I get it right, Cassius Martius. Cassius or Caius? Caius. Caius sorry, yeah. Caius Martius. Um, and it's basically you know Shakespeare's adaptation of of this real thing in in which this great general has this uh, uh, I think a handful of, of victories in a row yeah. bringing down these insurrections these rebels and is given the name Coriolanus yes. and is shoved into the, to the political sphere and does not handle it well and is through his not being a good PR bet essentially in front yeah. of the cameras as it were and the rumblings and the conspiratorial nature of the Congress and the politicians behind his back, they basically get him shipped out and excised from from Rome, from his from Rome, from his position and whatnot. Um, his immediate foe in the movie is played by Gerard Butler, and his name is Tullus Aphidius. Ray Fiennes himself plays Coriolanus, and it's a really interesting movie. It's they take, not unlike uh, Bos Lerman, Romeo, and, Ro, William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet by Bos yeah, Lerman. They they make it modern. It's but not as like off the rails the aesthetically as that movie is. Uh, well, it's meant to be more like it's like Battle of Algiers. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's like a yeah. Ponte Corvo movie where people are speaking in Shakespearean yeah. verse. And um, yeah, so he updates it. Still calls everything Rome, right? Uh, but. Um, it's. I mean, it looks like, it looks like, you know, Eastern Europe kind of. It's got kind of like a Central or Eastern Europe look to it, um, and basically, you know, I don't know. It's really. It's it's the movie itself. I kind of went back and forth on it. I remember really liking it when I first, I saw it in theaters actually, and I remember really liking it when I saw it in theaters. Rewatching it, there I had a couple of things with it that I just not really problems, but just things that I just am curious if like maybe if Ray Fiennes didn't direct it and somebody else directed it and he was just in it maybe it, it would be a little bit better I think it's his first movie it is and it's, it's a, as I it's mean it's a good debut it's a li- it's a little sturgid at times yeah there are scenes where you feel he perhaps was married too much to the words which of course with Shakespeare is hard because yeah. he's Shakespeare now with a play like Coriolanus no one is gonna run to the streets Screaming right. bloody mur- murder because you changed, you know, Coriolanus. This is one of Shakespeare's lesser works in terms of cultural significance, though the complexities within are very interesting. It's also a stacked cast, which you got to yep. give him credit for. You got Rafe himself, you got Jerry B., Vanessa Redgrave, the Queen herself, Brian Cox, Jessica Chastain, yep. John Connie, and then a bunch of other people who yep. y- you'll see and be like, oh, yeah, I love that guy. Right. Yep. So, 
they're all doing really good work. This is early Chastain. This was the role that is rumored to have gotten her. What was the movie? Uh, Zero Dark Thirty. So Dark according Third. to yeah, according to IMDb. So take that for what you will. Yeah, large grain. He he reportedly showed uh, finds reportedly showed an early cut of this movie to Catherine Bigelow. Strange Pro- days, buddies. Yeah, which yeah, which I probably to get tips or get feedback or whatever. Yeah, and um, also finds is in Hurt Locker. Remember? Yeah, yeah. and oh, he is. Yeah, that's a great scene. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so he had showed a, an early cut of it to uh, Catherine Bigelow, and uh, that I guess is what put Chastain on her radar for Hurt Locker. So you know, Zero Dark Thirty, bro. Yeah, good on both of them. Not Hurt Locker. Um. Oh, sorry. Yes. Yeah, yeah, what's 30. wrong with oh, you? God. Get out. Yeah. All right. I'm producing the podcast now. <laughs> I'm leaving. It, calling it the seaside. It, it's been nice, guys. So this movie, yeah, I mean, getting I guess to the focus of Jared Butler himself. It's an interesting performance. There's a lot of homoeroticism. Tons. That's very clear, yeah. which I which I love in terms of just the dynamic. The first encounter between Gerard Butler and Ray Fiennes in the movie is one of the best scenes. They get in this amazing knife fight yep. that then becomes a brawl. They like fall out of a window, and it's. I think it's really nicely choreographed. Yeah, and it kind of sp- spurs and almost solidifies. You hear so much about. They talk about each other in this hateful way, and then they meet, and it just kind of solidifies the hate and then makes the turns that have to happen in the second half of the movie all the more fascinating once Ray Fiennes gets pushed out of his country, essentially. Um, And I think just from a Gerard Butler standpoint, like we're talking about, he's this leader in the movie. He's very serious, but there is a charm to him and a... a, um, an intelligence and he feels so dialed in. Yeah. And, and it, it is, like I said, it's one, it, this is one of his lowest grossing movies, if not his, mo- his lowest grossing movie, which is also dear Frankie. Also, we'll get to it. One of his lowest grossing movies. And it's that thing of maybe he's in that Michael Douglas thing of you make wonder boys and you love it. And the critics love it, but no one, nobody sees it and you go, well, I guess like, I got to keep making stuff like the, the in-law yeah. remake because that's what people want. Right. I don't know if Gerard Butler has, you know, I mean, who this is all conjecture, but it feels like, you know, and also the Harrison Ford of it all. Right. Which I feel like is even more of an appropriate thing, you know, make you make the mosquito coast and, you know, um, you make the mosquito coast and then you're like, Oh yeah, nobody likes me when I do that. I gotta just maybe I'll just play Jack Ryan. You know, it's it's such a bummer because I think uh, for me, not unlike Pierce Brosnan, I think Gerard Butler is at his best when he's like dialed back a little bit. Because I think when you get like okay, you get three hundred Gerard Butler, which is like peak intensity. He's just yelling the whole time, right? Like it's very high intensity. It's very over the top. But so is the movie, right? So it feels like it fits, right? He's basically in a cartoon, right? So it it feels okay. The, but then he does those things in, uh, you know, in a in a machine gun preacher environment, and you're like, it's too much, buddy. But God don't want sheep. Praise the Lord. He wants wolves to fight his fight. Yeah. 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 Men and women with teeth to yeah. tear at the evil that is out there. And it like, does, and stop it, yelling. And, yeah, and it doesn't read well. And then for the, to watch this like right after um, is a godsend because he's just it's a like a muted performance. 
and he crushes it. It's ama- it, It's like, I, and I remember, and maybe this is the other thing, like when I was rewatching it, and this is to his credit, I don't even know if I really loved this movie so much in that I just loved how surprised I was by him in it when I first right. saw it. Like when I first saw it, there's particularly the one scene. So basically, as things go on, after, uh, you know, as Dan mentioned, uh, Ray Fiennes gets exiled from Rome because yeah. they're just, we don't, we don't want him. He's, he's terrible. He's not playing game uh, the right yeah, way. And he so, hates the people. And so they get the people that basically turn on him even more than they already have. He gets exiled rather than executed. He would rather be executed. So the fact that he gets exiled after basically saving Rome countless times, he's pissed and then suddenly they realize what they've done because they're like oh my god this dude's gonna come back and he's gonna just kill us all uh and that's basically what he tries to do because he goes he goes to gerard butler and he basically says hey you know we were sworn enemies uh but uh fuck them yeah let's let's do the thing you always wanted to do let's go burn rome i mean it's literally the movie it's it's a movie that encapsulates the line in dark knight rises when you know they're talking about uh you know, uh, Gary Goldman's character, where they're like, it's peacetime now. Right? Right. We don't need the guy yeah. who won. That The guy who won should go away. Now we're now now it's all calm. Right. You know, that guy's intense. Yeah. And it, and it basically... Uh, Not to just brutally oversimplify, <laughs> William Shakespeare, Shakespeare and mention The Dark, Dark Knight, Knight Rises. Rises. You know what? This might have to be my last podcast. <laughs> 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 Let's go back and talk about I wasn't Zack gonna, Snyder. I wasn't going to say anything, but there we are. Um, no, no regrets, but, no regrets. But, but what you get when that moment happens is this beautiful speech uh, by Gerard Butler basically saying as much as, you know, I've, want, like, I've wanted to kill you for as long as I can remember. And now that you are the specific person that is essentially – begging me to do the thing I always wanted to do. He's like overjoyed. He's basically in love with him. That's, I mean, this scene in particular is I think where, like you mentioned, the homoeroticism comes in full swing because he is just like, he puts a knife to his throat at one point during the speech. Oh, Marcius. Marcius. Each word that I spoke, I've weeded from my heart a root of ancient envy. Let me twain my arms about that body. Know thou, I loved the maid I married, never mind thy truer breath, but that I see thee here. First, my wedded mistress saw bestrike my threshold. Why thou, Mars? I tell thee, thou hast beat me out twelve several times, and I have nightly since dreamt of encounters twixt thyself and me. Are they marshes? Had we no quarrel else to roam but that thou art thence banished? We would muster all from twelve to seventy and pouring war into the bowels of ungrateful Rome like a bold flood over it. 
and they're just like centimeters apart, and you're just like, make out, just make out, like you, yeah, you both kiss, little kiss, just a little, little um, um, kiss, yeah. But uh, but I think it's, that's the image. That's the poster. Yeah, it's just, just that kissing. kissing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but it's uh, it's great, uh, and he is great, and basically, you know, they then they rally, uh, they rally Aphidius's men to go sack Rome basically as this is happening. Uh, there's sort of a, a key interesting little point. Uh, Ray Fiennes has like a straight up skinhead, like shaved head through the whole movie. So once he starts rallying Aphidius's men, they all start shaving their heads and stuff. And uh, one of Gerard Butler's right hands at the time is kind of like, hey, like, are you worried that maybe they're starting to like this guy too much? And like, what if he doesn't deliver? And Jerry Butler is 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 trusting him, you know, and he's kind of like, OK, like as long as he gets us what we want, I don't really care. Like, yeah, the, yeah, the men yeah. can love him as much as they want. And they make it to Rome and uh, and there they are confronted uh, right right as they're sort of about to start their siege. They are confronted by uh, Vanessa Redgrave, uh, who plays his mother, who is great. Yeah. Coriolanus's mother. Yeah. In, in this movie. And she basically has just a show stopping scene where she basically pleads with him. Uh, and then he, ba- you know, he kind of is like, no, I'm still going to do it. And then she's like, okay, well then to hell with you. And that, that's, I guess what kind of gets it for him. And he's like, I, you know, he turns to Gerard Butler and he's like, look, I'm not going to do it. Um, but maybe people will look at you and they'll say, oh, this guy could have totally killed us, but then he didn't look at how merciful he is. So he sort of bargains with Gerard Butler to not sack Rome uh, and then afterwards, everybody's, you know, seemingly safe and sound in Rome. And uh, and he goes out to see Gerard Butler and uh, Gerard Butler is like, no, nah, fuck you. And he kills him. And that's basically that's Coriolanus. Shakespeare. Yeah. Shakespeare, Boom. baby. Very, very simple. It's a very like it's that is the one thing I noticed about this movie that I, um, I it was a little I kind of the movie's like over two hours long and the plot is so simple. Um, yeah. that I sort of was like, eh, but it does, it, I think it moves quick enough. I do think, um, I think that knife fight is pretty good. I think some of the other brief moments of action in the movie are a little lacking in particular. There's this one scene where it's, it's before he's given the name, uh, Coriolanus, uh, Caius Martius is in battle and basically they think he's died cause he got, he's gone into this building where there are, uh, Gerard Butler's men are in them and he kills a bunch of them. He really like, you know, on screen, he kills like two guys that are in this building or whatever. And then there are, you know, all of his men are talking about how like he went in there he's surely he's dead. And then he emerges and then they're like, Oh my God, he's got blood on his face. And And that scene though, I just remember thinking, and I was, it's funny because I was reading about the trivia, like while I was watching the movie. So I read about the Catherine Bigelow thing and I just had like I then started wondering what the movie would look like if it was directed by Catherine Bigelow, right? And and it would have probably been better. Moments like that would have just I yeah, think he, been a little bit better because yeah, I would have loved to have seen a scene where he really proves his salt as a warrior. And I think that scene that I'm talking about is meant to express that. It just doesn't feel. It just doesn't feel like it does he sort of right, goes like into a building a and budgetary like, constraints yeah and i mean yeah, exactly. he's an interesting director so he makes curry he's made since the invisible woman which is about uh 
Charles Dickens late in life, he meets a young woman and there's an affair at the end of his life. And, you know, just kind of, it's a tortured genius type of a movie, you know, about Charles Dickens. Ray Fiennes plays him as well as directs. And then he made that movie this year called The White Crow, which I have not seen, but got pretty good notices and I'm definitely interested in. So it's cool he's been able to make a little career directing uh, following this movie. But I do agree. I think there are some limitations that he tries to get around, which he can't quite. That being said, Gerard Butler, this is a highlight for him. It was, by any metric of box office monitoring, his fourth or fifth lowest grossing movie. How much did it cost? Oh, I don't know. I don't. I, I, I can try to look it up. I, I think they spent... You know, a couple like twenty thousand, twenty million on it. I I believe it made it basically made a million dollars, right? So, right. so very much a disappointment in terms of return, though it was critically appreciated um, by many. I'm looking here. Well, no, I'm wrong. I, I see the budget here on Wikipedia as seven point seven million. So it still loses money, but not a you know not some crazy. You know, not some crazy bomb. I mean, he got to direct another movie. So. That's what I mean. Uh, He's yeah. directed a couple since. So that comes and goes relatively softly, like we said. That same year, on the back half of the year of 2012, the next two movies come out. Chasing Mavericks is first. This movie gets delayed a bit because Curtis Hansen, who was the initial director, gets sick while making it and eventually has to be replaced by his friend Michael Apted. And um, they're both credited with the movie, which is rare for DGA, but this was an ex, you know an uh, extraordinary situation. Curtis Hansen would not make another movie. He actually passed away a few years after this, um, and this would be the last movie he was ever credited as director. Chasing Mavericks is based on the life of Jay Moriarty, who was a famous surfer who died at a young age, and his mentor, Frosty Hessen, wrote a book called Making Mavericks, which this movie is, I think, most directly based on. And Gerard Butler plays Frosty in the movie. A young actor named Johnny Weston plays Jay Moriarty. And it's a surfer movie, right? This is a movie in which the you know the lure of the sea the mythology of the surf right this it's a very central to the whole deal it's about this young 15 year old kid comes from a broken home elizabeth shoots his mom is trying to get her act together but has substance abuse problems and can't keep a job and he's trying to run the house and the father ran out you know at the first chance he got a million years ago he's in like the military or yeah something. Like, but but like, like but early on writes a letter basically saying i'm out yeah and um Frosty's basically an next door neighbor and this, you know, seasoned surfer who takes Jay under his wing begrudgingly and shows Jay Mavericks, which is this, uh, at the point in time when the movie takes place, this place that's secret up the coast where these huge swells are happening and like only Frosty and his friends know about it and they don't want the word to get out. And all Jay wants to do is surf Mavericks. And Frosty's like, all right, well, you got to do a whole training regimen for you to be able to do it. So it becomes that like a sports movie in that way where he's got a goal and the training he's got to do, you know, while trying to keep a job and he's got a crush. He's, he's, you know, childhood sweetheart who's a couple years older than him. And he's got the local bully and he's got his best friend. The bully made me laugh out loud a couple the of times. The bully's tough. It's yeah. The bully. I mean, that kid. 
there is a you're introduced to the bully and he what does he call him it's like he calls him um it's like uh, what does he call jay he calls him like trash, right? Doesn't yeah, he call him yeah. like he calls him like yeah, he's like, he's like trash like, kid or yeah, I don't know. What up, you dumb trash. Like, yeah. like, yeah. And it's but it's what's funny is you see him as a kid and he's like, Hey, what's up, trash? And he's got a bat in his hand. And then that's like the last scene before the movie flashes forward to make Jay grow up a little bit. And he's know? still got the bat. And he's still got the bat. <laughs> Yeah. It's so I like I paused the movie for like this a is, solid minute and we're is, just laughing at there, that. This is a very like, you know, cliched movie. Yeah. Like you'd it, say. Yeah, for sure. Just like ah, you know I'm the bully because I'm the yeah. kid with the bat. Like And it has the scene where his crush, Jay's crush, they're hanging out outside of school and he comes to school and he's like, Hey, what's up? Hey. And she like turns away. Right. Right. Which is a very common kind of a thing. Which I don't, you know, I don't know. It's based on a true story. So like, and let me just say the name of the crush, the Kim, her name is Levin Rambin is the actress. uh, And they would actually does a very good job. Abigail Spencer, Mm -hmm. underrated actress was in a show called timeless, a show called suits, which I watched and had a stint on, uh, Mad Mad Men. Yeah. Mad Men. Madman. She plays Frosty's wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's pretty good in it. Um, so here's the thing. I saw this movie uh, not too long after it came out. Movie didn't do well. Made six million domestic. Nobody cared about it, right? It got pushed a lot. I think when you make a surfing movie, you run that risk. It is a niche thing. I, I do think it sure. is. I mean, you, you really have to kind of... Like, has there been a really successful surfing movie? Has there? I mean, you had, like, Soul Surfer. Right, Soul and, Surfer did okay. Yeah, I don't... But uh, my thing with this movie... Does Point Break, does the original yeah, Point Break Point count Break as a surfing did, well, movie? Okay, yeah, no, yeah, sure. That's that's enough of a surfing movie, action surfing movie. Um, So here's my thing. I saw it. I didn't really care two ways about it when I saw it many years ago when it came out. Rewatching it, I did enjoy it more. I specifically enjoyed Gerard Butler more. He's he's got a nice presence in this movie, I think. Yeah, he's 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 fine. I I, I wrote, that was my note for this movie on his performance. I was like, he's fine. Yeah, see, I it's, think he's better than fine. Yeah, yeah but go ahead. He, he didn't really do it for me necessarily, but it's not it, it's not like a law abiding citizen situation or a or even like an Olympus has fallen situation where it's or like a machine gun preacher yeah, where it's where, three three word titles and it's like <laughs> and he but he, where he's the problem right and like he you know. So that's I think I think fine. My thing with this movie is to your point, yeah, it's a little it's it's cliched. It's it's directed in a very kind of it feels like everything and it's painted in the broadest strokes possible. Um and I think make, making a movie like that is tough because you're making sort of something that is kind of precious. I would imagine even more precious to people in the surfing community given what happens to Jay Moriarty. Right. Um, so I can. So, yeah. So, yeah, just to finish the thought. It's just a glossy movie, and I think it suffers because of it. Um, but I, I'm, I, like, I don't know if that's Hanson's fault or or what, because, you know, he only directed, like, half the movie. Yeah, so just, so Abted replaced Hanson during the, during the last 15 days of principal photography while Hanson recovered from complications arising from a recent heart surgery, which I think his heart problems ultimately were his demise of, you know, uh, a couple of years later, Curtis Hanson, Curtis Hanson, who actually speaking of directed wonder boys, yeah. which I mentioned before, which is one of my all time favorite movies. Curtis Hanson also directed one of my other all time favorite movies, LA, LA Confidential. Confidential. Great director. So 
the reason I like this movie is kind of for the reasons you just briefly mentioned at the end there. I dig the surfing mythos, spirituality stuff. I always have. I can't really explain it. I don't surf. I grew up in New York. You know, I, I, I don't think I've ever held a surfboard. <laughs> um, but when I was in college, I kind of got into it. I watched The Endless Summer, sure. the documentary, uh, which I liked okay. I, I fell in love with the documentary Riding Giants, which is about mm -hmm. big wave surfing, which is more appropriate for this to movie because yeah. Mavericks is big wave and whatnot. And I even liked and watched the Jack Johnson documentary, <laughs> feature-length documentary called Thicker Than Water. Jack Johnson, the musician, he went to film school and he made a documentary. I think he went to UC Santa Barbara and he made a documentary because he's a big surfer. Of course he is, right? Call Thicker Than Water, which is about surfing. And it's not, it's a good documentary. It's a good surfing documentary. It talks about kind of some of the stuff that this movie tries to get at. And so I'll say re-watching it now, some of this really worked for me. I do think there's something holistic and calming about what this movie is trying to get into. I think some of the inherent tough stuff with this movie Moriarty himself is an interesting case, right? This movie takes place when he's 15. The kid dies seven years later, right? Right. Free diving in the Maldives, you know? So he's a complicated cat in that way because it's that thing. And this is, this is where you struggle with some of this, you know, spirituality is why was he free diving? Right. You, you well, do there's, thing. I mean, it's a thing. I, I was of, looking into it a little bit. No, I know. I do. I'm going to let you go. Yeah, but, yeah. I, but this is where I, this is the limitations of it for me, where it's Gerard Butler has a lot of lines. You know, we come from the sea. He has some narration that bookends the movie. We all come from the sea, but we are not all of the sea. Those of us who are, we children of the tides must return to it again and again until the day we don't come back, leaving behind only that which was touched along the way. But also his work ethic is really high, which I appreciate. So it's that mixed bag, which I like of, you can work hard and have this surfer men mentality, you know, and support, still support your family and enjoy the swell, right? right? It doesn't have to be both. I mean, it doesn't have to be one or the other. It can be both. I appreciate that. And I appreciate how the movie portrays Moriarty, Johnny Weston playing him as a hardworking kid. You know, he's providing for his mom. He's got a job. You know, it's not yeah, like yeah. The, the, any sort of surf bum, beach bum bullshit. Like, it's not surfer, dude. It's, like yeah, it's, it's yeah. not that, and I appreciate it, because that's not what it is. You know, it's it, it's more than just like, whatever, man. Like, we're just here to have a good time. It can be more than that. So I appreciate what the movie's getting at. Um, but, yeah, I'll let you go about his, his ultimate demise. Yeah, I mean, he – so uh, his wife, Kim uh, – I should say widow, Kim – um, yeah, who is the was, childhood sweeter who in real life he did marry? Yes. Yeah. All true. Um, she was very adamant about, you know, basically putting it out there that he, he wasn't, you know, he didn't die doing something insanely reckless. He was doing like underwater, like breathing training basically, which is the kind of stuff you see him trying to do throughout oh, the, that's interesting. the okay. whole movie. And I wrote this in my notes that like, you know, it, there's, you know, they they mention at the end of the movie, obviously, what becomes of Jay. And um, and so it's a little like even if you don't know what happened to Jay Moriarty, 
before watching the movie, by the time you get to the end, you realize they lay it on so thick. There is like that's there's too there, much of that. Yeah, there's a the lot. Of like, used up all your good luck charms. Yeah, yeah. In one and there's go. like there's like the one scene where his mom looks at him and she's like, "You're gonna live a long life." No, I'm kidding. Um, that does that doesn't happen. No, um, but Jay, but Jay at the end writes a letter, which I don't know if this is true or not. I imagine it's gotta be. Yeah, right? that's what you're saying. It feels he writes so, a letter yeah. to Frosty. Yeah, yeah, where he's like, "I never thought I'd be around for that long." Yeah, and you're like, "Damn." That's sad. Yeah, and it's, it's it's just one of those insane things to like to put in a movie because it's so on the nose. But I almost I it is so insane that I believe it's yeah, true because it be that just feels like one now, of those things. Let's disagree about one more thing. Johnny <laughs> Weston, you when we you were watching and we were together. He's, he's bad. I think okay. He's bad. I, so I don't I don't necessarily disagree, but I don't think he's I I, I don't think he's bad. I. I I, I think there's an innocence that would they, they so clearly saw in this actor that works that it sure. really helps. It yeah. would help to help me. And when you look at interviews with the real Jay Moriarty, like he look he looks like him. He looks like he looks him. like, like a, him, and he acts like him. The dude I, seemed like this happy, like he's a, like there's a multiple jokes made in the movie about how he's always smiling. Yeah. And if you w- watch interviews with this kid. And he was a kid. You know, he died when he was like 22. 23. Yeah. 23. He is smiling. Like, he's just talking about, oh, this is how I feel. And he, he'll just, like, he can't like he can't help it. Yeah. So, and look, I'm not a huge proponent of, like, how closely does he resemble the real person. I no, mean, I that's not really the way you should, it's I about don't the think, spirit. approach It's about the spirit of the thing, I think. But I think he gets, this, I do think he gets at the spirit of the thing. We, I know we disagree I, on this. My bit, yeah. thing is this, is just, and it's, and I found this out. You know, basically when I was done watching the movie, but at, you know, I was kind of digging through the trivia and saw that, you know, he basically submitted an audition to a casting website and that's how he got picked. And he has no previous acting experience whatsoever. And it's just like, when you know that, I'm like, yeah, like, what did you, like, of course he does it. Like, what did you think was going to happen? Sharika Epps in Half Nelson had no... Okay. Experience. Sure. sure. I'm, I'm not saying it can happen. I, yes, it, it can. can. Happen. My point is, it didn't happen here. <laughs> um, and it's yeah. I think it's. An, I think it is a signal as to what is wrong with the movie for me overall. That like, yeah, it works, but like, it could be better. Like it, you know, like it. Yeah. If if it's it, you. Yeah. If, the whole if movie feels really workmanlike. Zach Efron or something. You know, yeah. a younger. God. Yeah. Right. I wish it was Zach Efron. I wish I mean, it was I Zac Efron. I think he was too busy making Charlie St. Cloud, which is a, like a similar it's type a of movie. It's a very similar yeah. movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think. Uh, God, they made. Remember they made Charlie St. Cloud? We're gonna, we'll cover that on a B side. I'm one sure. Day, for sure. We're going to do an Efron. An Efron St. Cloud focused B side. Yeah. Let's do it. Actually, I mean, what are we doing right after this? Yeah. Let's just jump let's into St. Cloud. St. Cloud cast. Um. But yeah, no, I think overall, I think the movie's just fine. It's kind of, it's basically inoffensive. It's not, there's nothing about it really. Like the, the, the surfer spiritualism thing isn't a thing I get into, but that's just me being cynical. Right. You know, that, that, all that I, stuff, it's, yeah. it's a little too. I would be curious what surfers think of this movie. Yeah, maybe. And so that I, would be, hey, if anyone, hey, anyone out there? You're surfs? a surfer? Let us know. What do you think of this movie? I think this movie is like one step away from just not vaccinating its kids. Um, <laughs> and that's all I'll say about Part that. Part of the judgmental problem, Connor. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think, and just to bring it to a final Butler point, 
I think he's really in his element here. Um, his name is Frosty. Yeah, but I think I think you get Jerry Butler for a Frosty character. Sure, I, honestly, sure, sure. He's got the hair works for this. I, I really his performance in this movie upon rewatch for this podcast, I was pleasantly surprised how in to his whole thing I was with this movie. A little bit less though, I did enjoy it. But him, I definitely came away thinking, hey, this guy's got something going on. Now our last one's playing for keeps. Directed by Gabriel Machino. Before we do that, let me just mention two smaller movies that I watched upon in researching or rewatched one and watched another. First one I mentioned before, it's called Dear Frankie. Came out in 2004. Um, the oft brought up Julie Mecca, my lovely mother. This is one of her favorite movies from recent times. Why didn't she, we have Julie on? I know. Part? She loves this movie. And he's the reason I've even seen it because I just remember her. This is the type of thing I was talking to her last night. She like read about it in the Poughkeepsie Journal, you know, our local paper, like in some random whatever. And then she like found where she could see it, you know, and mm-hmm. like sought it out and fell in love with it. Directed by Shauna Auerbach and written by Andrea Gibb. Dear Rangi is basically the story of the single mother who has this deaf son named Frankie. The mother's played by Emily Mortimer and they live in this like seaside town in the UK. And the mother has convinced her son that their, the father is gone out to sea. He's like on a boat always and he'll be back one day. And to convince her son, her son writes letters to his father and she intercepts the letters when he mails them and writes back to her son as his father. So the name of the name of the obviously the name of the movie is Dear Frankie. Now what of course happens? She picks the name of the ship that her father that the father is on and of course one day a ship with that name comes into port and the son is convinced the father is going to finally come visit him. So all of a sudden after 9 years she needs to either tell her son the truth or find a guy to play the father. And with the help of some of her local friends, she meets this guy who's called The Stranger. You never find out his real name, who's Jared Butler, to play the parts of Frankie's father. And what, of course, happens, right? In befriending the kid and pretending to be his father and meeting Emily Mortimer, things get more complicated, more serious, and more romantic. And then you find out about what really happened to the father, and that complicates things. I, this is a sweet movie. Mortimer killed him. Right? <laughs> this is a sweet, sweet movie, man. Like, and like you're talking about, when Butler does less, it's more. He 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 comes in 40 minutes in. He's got short cropped hair, a minimal amount of lines. Is just so handsome, so charming, enigmatic. Lucky for her that it's it was Gerard Butler. Thank God. What if it's like what if it's like Rowan Atkinson? Dear Frankie, you're welcome. Or like or Steve Well, they make Coogan. a joke. She's at the restaurant waiting for who did, she doesn't know. No huge disrespect and, to Rowan Atkinson or Steve Coogan. She just... and Mortimer turns and she's like looking over who could it be? And there's like some bald sh- sh- like sh- you know, schlub. And she's like, you get like her face, like, oh, hope it's not that guy. You know, and yeah. it's funny. It's a cute movie. I it's look, we've talked about this more than a couple of times on this podcast. And this is why we do this podcast. It kills me a movie like this doesn't get seen by 20 million people. Sure. Just because it's so nice. You watch it and you go, Well, he, Remi- would- he Remington steals. Yeah. That's what he does. He Remington, he Remington steals. steals. That's yeah. a great point. Pierce 
lives on in our Jerry B podcast. <laughs> you watch this movie and you go, I want more of these movies. Like life is hard, you know, and this isn't, it's not overly melodramatic. You, th- you would think it might be obviously the setup. It's very manufactured and whatnot. It's not, it's lovely. It's, it's thoughtful. And I'll give you, I'll give you Ebert loved this movie. I'll give you the first line of his review, which I think speaks to the whole movie. Fuck yeah. There's a shot. <laughs> Fuck yeah, Frankie, dear Frankie rules. <laughs> the line is this. There is a shot toward the end of Dear Frankie where um, when a man and a woman stand on either side of a doorway and look at each other, just simply look at each other. During this time, they say nothing, and yet everything they need to say is communicated. Their doubts, cautions, hopes. Boom. That. That's a great part of the movie and representative of what the movie is. It's a feeling. I urge you to find it. I don't think it's currently streaming anywhere, but I think you'd even find it online potentially, just kind of available. You can also, I, I imagine you can rent it. It's worth your money. It, it, it's a high recommend from me. Um, and Gerard Butler, I would say, if it's not Coriolanus, his performance in Dear Frankie is. We can give it to Dear Frankie because that's like a more leading ish performance. Well, yeah, I mean, becomes more leading ish when he gets into it. But, and then the second one I'll be more brief about it's a newer movie called The Vanishing that came out actually, I think in the States it came out in 2019. It's on, currently on Amazon Prime. It's called The Vanishing. It stars him and Peter Mullen. And it's a fictionalization of this real crazy thing that happened, which is in the year 1900. These three men who are lighthouse keepers uh, off on one of the seven inlets, islets known as the Seven Hunters off the coast of Scotland. The Seven Hunter Killers? The Flannan Isles. They, I wish, (laughs) they, um, they were to be relieved at the end of 1900. And the men who had come to, you know, resupply them with food and one guy was going to go off and one guy was going to come on for relief. They got to the island and all three of the men were nowhere to be found. No bodies, no nothing. And this was an island that you can look it up. There's a weird religious element to the island. There was rumors of hauntings and ghosts and stuff in and around this area. And so this movie is essentially kind of their take on what could have happened on that island. Super entertaining, super tense. Just kind of a good B movie type of a of a, you know, of a thriller. Right in his wheelhouse. Exactly. Mullen's yeah. great. Butler's right there with him. I, I high recommend. Another high recommend. It's you can watch it right now. And I was happy this episode. And hey, this is where I'll thank Richie Filippi, our foe. Still our foe, <laughs> but I'll thank him. I'm happy that us having to do this had me watch this movie because it was very interesting. So I recommend that one as well. Our final movie. I'll just get it out of the way. We're not going to recommend it. <laughs> Playing for keeps. Don't play for keeps with this movie. It's a silly movie. I enjoyed it more than Machine Gun Preacher. But what does that mean? But what does it yeah, mean? I, I would agree. <laughs> I would much rather watch Chasing Mavericks. I'd much rather rewatch Coriolanus. Yep. Playing for keeps. Late 2012. Nope. Doesn't make any money. Like we said, Gabriel Machino, this is his follow-up to... Seven Pounds, which was his follow-up to The Pursuit of Happiness, which earned Will Smith an acting uh, Oscar nomination. And this movie is, uh, he's an ex, Jerry Butler's an ex-soccer star who starts coaching his young son's soccer team and has sex with a couple of the moms. 
That's the movie. And essentially is trying to win back the affections Jessica of his Biel. ex-wife, played by Jessica Biel. Because, um, look, he's not he's not playing the field. He's playing for keeps. And what's funny that you say that, Connor, is the title of the movie up until very close to its release was Playing the Field. And they changed it to Playing for Keeps because he's not playing the field. He's playing for keeps. He's playing for keeps. And uh, Dennis Quaid's in this movie as wow is is giving, he ever giving an intensity to his performance not only the intensity he gives to his performance in the intruder which i recently watched and it's okay <laughs> he is uh yeah he's just quaking all over this movie oh is he um yeah hoey. uh so <laughs> so he uh gerard butler basically you know the thing is he becomes the so- the coach of the, his son's soccer team. He's he's hard for money. He's living in a guest house of a you know of a seemingly much wealthier man's you know yeah. nicer hat not mansion. Good old, but his name's good old George Dreyer. George Dreyer, not a bad name. Not a bad name. A it name. feels like it could be a soccer, yep. a football star. Yep. You know, indeed, indeed. Um, and he's basically he's hard for cash. He's selling all of his old stuff. Uh, it's you know he, he's trying to pawn it off. Um, to try and make rent, basically winds up, uh, you know. Meanwhile, he's auditioning uh, for sports. You know, sending tapes into uh, sportscaster positions at various networks, local networks, that kind of thing uh, around Washington D.C. And not really having much luck, so he winds up taking the soccer, the soccer coach gig. The thing is, they don't ever talk. Like, is that his gig? Does he get paid to do it? Well, remember Dennis Quaid gives him the wad of cash. Oh, right. And is like, hey, and if my daughter sings the national anthem, all right. Right. You know, maybe that's okay. If my son plays goalie, yeah, okay. Because Dennis Quaid, and look, this is credit to the idea of the Dennis Quaid character. I, growing up, played baseball, you know, obviously Little League Baseball. I was from a part of New York where that was like a big deal back when I was a kid. I was an umpire when I was like 15 for a couple of years. There are dads like Dennis Quaid, literally like small business owners, big fish, little pond people sure, who like throw their money around. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, put the new refrigerator in the concession stand and walk around the baseball fields like they own the place. And they kind of a little bit do because they gave the guy money for the – so I liked the idea of the Dennis Quaid character because that person exists. I've had to get in, get yelled at by because I called a ball a strike, right? You know what I mean? Like, I know that person. But the way Quaid plays it is so at 11. It's so hard to even so, wrap your head around. I'm it. glad that you solidified that for me because one of my big questions, and I wrote this in my notes, was like, is Dennis Quaid even a person in this movie? Like he's yeah, not, I mean, he's, the minute he he's shows like a walking up, yeah. coke boner. Like he just yeah, like I know, I know. The minute he shows up, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I know this. I remember this dad. I do. I remember this dad. But to the level he's playing it, I do not. Yeah, I'm ready for him to intrude. I'm he, ready for him to be intruding all the time, and kind of is intruding. You know who, by contrast, is is downplayed a little bit, and for the better, Jerry B. Yeah, he, I like Jerry B in this movie. He's he's basically, yeah, he's and I he's the right person, person you cast yes, in playing for keeps. a thousand percent. I just don't think you make playing for keeps, right? At least not in America. And it's I mean, like not if a, or you make British, it better. If like, this is like a full Monty <clears throat> British, you know, import scenario, and you can make it a little bit cruder. That yeah, you know, 
then maybe you bring it over the pond. You know what I mean? That well, because feels... it's like this movie tries to sort of be like wholesome, but it also tries to be a sex comedy. Yeah, it... I mean, you can feel the original cut. Yeah, underneath the covers, yeah. literally. I mean, where they were just like, "Oh, there was all this other stuff we shot," and then you know the studio was like, "But what if it was nice?" Yeah, right. You know which, and I guess is that like so basically as the as the movie progresses. There are three main soccer moms outside of, of course, Jessica Biel, his ex-wife, as Judy Greer, Catherine Zeta-Jones, and Uma Thurman. Uh, Uma. Uma, who is, uh, who is Dennis Quaid's wife. Now, they set up very quickly. I did appreciate this about the movie. In, like, a huddle, the kids basically are all just, like, there's, like, this one moment where the kids are just basically giving TMI to Gerard Butler. And, like... Yeah, that was a funny scene. Yeah, yeah. And one of them says, you know... Basically, two of them say how sad their moms are, and like those are the, those two kids are Judy Greer's and Catherine Zeta Jones's kids. So they like the movie almost gives Gerard Butler the out a little bit as things progress, and he has these escapades with these right. two women because like Greer's getting divorced or is recently, divorced, recently is divorced, divorced right. and Zeta Jones. The impression is. Her and her husband are, are not just like her husband. Other people like they're just yeah, yeah not right. To, like, they're together, but the not husband's really together. like with the nanny. Yeah, and and it's and, just that's just accepted. Yeah, but then of course Uma is with Dennis Quaid, and Dennis Quaid is very controlling. Right, and so that's a whole nother thing. Yeah, and so basically, it, I mean, it it's just it's a bummer because all three of these people are fine actors in their own right, and they're just like not they're like just pigeonholed into these judy greer especially i i feel like she pops up time and time again and like the the crazy lady this is this is those t-shirts that are judy greer should have been the lead this is yeah your movie where it's like judy yeah no and she's always welcome and i love seeing her every time uh but yeah you just it's 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 tough to watch her have to like swallow a roll like this um the yeah, so basically, winds up sleeping with Greer, but like the whole thing here is he's like somehow like he like changes her life because he does right like it's like yeah I mean the, they play it he plays it like he 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 can't be bothered right, but he likes Greer enough so they she helps he helps her because she's able to get over the hump essentially of just depression and, and self doubt and whatnot sure sure. And then Zeta Jones' whole thing is she's a... And this is, look, another thing where you kind of roll your eyes a little bit. The movie's set in D.C. Zeta Jones has a connection with ESPN because I guess she's this like high-powered producer. Right. Which, once again, we work in the industry. It's okay, but these things always kind of bother me because I'm like, what? Like, what does she do? She's in D.C., but she has a direct connect to ESPN. So she can... She basically offers to make Gerard Butler a proper audition tape for ESPN for their soccer stuff. Yeah. In exchange for sex, right? That's basically what the scene ends up being. But I always struggle with that stuff where it's like, wait, so what does she do that allows her Kenny Maine's phone number, you know, or whatever. Yeah, no, I think they try and cover that very quickly. And again, I sort of appreciate it. This movie's just trying to keep it going. Just trying to play for keeps. Yeah, you know. Um they he like hears her or she drives up next to him at like a stoplight and he's like where have i heard your voice before and she like says and because she's like on the news and i don't know if she's a she's a fellow sportscaster or what that's right so she's you're like right. she's you're right it. you're right she was she used to be you're right i apologize thank you for the correction yeah. she used to be a 
like talking head yeah. sports person. So I believe that she could so, okay. have that in. You're right. And 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 this and, is me, and I'm standing. I'm standing corrected. Yeah. Uh, Just do me a favor. You're listening you're right you're now. Sitting down. You're, He's sitting down. I'm sitting down. Yeah. Do me a favor if you're listening. Um, just go on the old Google machine and type in playing for keeps movie poster and just enjoy it. They're just the, Dude, the Jerry, versions of movie yeah, Jerry, Jerry on this poster. He's just He's got that look in back, his face. Giving you a little yeah. slag like, and saying, I'm playing for keeps. No, but see the look in his face right there. It feels like he's playing the field. It's true. That's a play in the right. field. Once again, I once again sit correct. Yeah. Um, so yeah, basically, so, just quickly. Yeah, go ahead. I don't think we need to go through the whole movie. No, he, no, no. I was gonna, for keeps. I was going to get to the end of it, which is the part of it that bothers me the most. Oh yes, we have to talk about yeah. that. Just before you do that, what what's our guess for budget? Are you looking at it? Do you? No, know? no. I'm not. Okay, what's your guess for budget on this? Uh, so grossed twenty four million. Not a lot for the budget. What do you think the budget was? I'm going to say it cost at least thirty five. My good sir. It cost at least fifty. Jesus, what did they spend it on? On the keeps, <laughs> you got to spend it on the keeps. Um, earnestly, did they spend it on the kids? You know, like there how many shoot days do you need for people the... in this? No? I guess they're I mean, right. I don't know All if everyone's the... getting paid their rate. Right? Uh-huh. No, I guess that that's a fair. You're right. Point. There's not a lot in it. I mean, it's I presuming like six presuming they shot it in DC or near DC. Right. I mean. Yeah, how many but not even that's a it? requirement, honestly. No, could, that's it, what I mean. It, it could, could be, be anywhere. Yeah, could have been in L.A. Yeah, got it. Um, but talk about your ending. You hate the ending. I hate it. Does the thing that I've noticed as I rewatch certain rom coms and things like that uh, that just don't hold up very well, um, and that bother me a lot is so Jessica Biel is going to be getting married to uh, James Tupper, who plays her like new b- boyfriend now fiance. Um, you, you people would probably recognize him most recently from um, from Big Little Lies. He plays Reese Witherspoon's ex husband on Big Little Lies, um, and Zoe Kravitz's current current husband, husband on Big Little Lies. Um, and essentially, you know, they're going down the road to getting married the whole time. This dude seems like a champ, by the way, because Gerard Butler keeps showing up. Dealing, trying to deal with the kid, very basically, understanding. Basically, this, this future stepfather. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The worst thing I think maybe this dude says is within earshot of Gerard Butler. An that, ADR line. Yeah, which it, you know they added because they're like, yes, say something. No, right. We got to make him seem kind of shitty. He's walking back into the house and he says, like, someday you'll have to tell me what you ever saw that guy. And then Beale's response, which I think is interesting of the movie to do, is she goes, "He is Gerard Butler." Right. He does look like Gerard. It's, I mean, it's a dumb question to ask because yeah. it's like, yeah, I don't know. She but you ever seen like, that handsome soccer star right. with beautiful hair and right. roguish charm? When, and the accent. When do you have like, to ever tell yeah. me what you saw in him? Um, but so so that's like the worst that he gets, you know. Um, and again, not to like it's it's an interesting thing that these movies have to do because he can't seem like a piece of shit because then you go, well, why is she? Why is this new guy she's with just you know? What's he got to offer, right? But it does the thing that these rom-coms do. Spoiler alert for Playing for Keeps if you wanted to watch it. So they get back together at the end of the movie. Yeah. Okay. Like that poor guy. That, that poor, poor guy. guy. Like he he seemed great. Yeah. He's handsome. He's not like, he's not some schlub. I mean, he's no Jerry B. Look, but, but handsome, he's, he's handsome Jimmy, dude. He's a Jimmy T. Yeah, he's, he's Jimmy He's Jimmy Tufts. Yeah. Jimmy Tufts. Handsome he's guy. Tupper. And essentially like just gets shortchanged 
But it's not like Gerard Butler and Jessica Biel have worked out their problems. It's, it's like still she a lot just, of conversation. She just happen. is sort of like, yeah, I guess I missed him. And it's like, yeah, sure, but like. And then the thing you hated the most is that. Okay, worst part of the movie. Worst part of the movie. Guess the end of the movie. And he's playing with their kid outside the house. This is the other thing. The logistically, the movie never gets this across. <laughs> Is this, Matt, this hill you're dying on? The, this the exact other, one is so funny. The other man, the other man, uh, they're living in this house, right? And they never specify if it's like her house from right. before when they were married yeah. or if he's living in it or whatever. But he's still in the house, he's like right there. It would have the been good if Jerry B had a line where he's like, Well, I bought the place, no, right? Like, you're what, living in it, yeah, yeah, that would have like, been a good line. There is no context because the vibe I got was that this is Matt's house, so no, that's true, that's what it feels like. So it's Matt's house for the sake of argument. They're on his lawn. They're on his front lawn. This is right after she's basically said she's going to leave him. And they're just playing soccer on his front lawn. Want to play? Yeah. Want to play? Yeah, I want to play. Okay. Go. They double down on it and no one says for, for keeps. keeps. Like the movie's not above it. Just do it. Not even close to above no, it. Like, Below it. Yes. Even. I mean, clearly. Right. They didn't like do if it. they had done it, I would have been like, ah, oh, good. There it is. Two and a half you know. stars. Yeah, right there. C plus. Um, and it's tough. You want to play? For keeps? Yeah. <laughs> right. That. For keeps? That way better. For keeps? Credits. Question mark is the fade out. Yeah. And then there's a thing that just says like, and they played for keeps for the rest of their <laughs> lives. Dot, um, dot. Yeah, I don't know. It's not very good. He's charming. It's it's, it's the right type. It's the right type of role. I feel like he should be taking just the wrong type of movie. If that sure. makes any sense. Yeah. All right. So let's just speed down through the rest of his career up until now. Angel has fallen. So he's in movie forty three, which is an infamous uh, comedy anthology. He's like a leprechaun in it or something. I don't remember. Lippis has fallen. It becomes a hit. Um, kind of begrudgingly. It's not really a great movie. I, I skimmed through some of it. It's on Netflix right now. It's Antoine Fuqua. Poor effects, really. It's it's it truly kind of... is an anomaly to me. Uh, I'm in that camp of people that like, you know, it came out same same time as White House Down, roughly the same time, and I just think that movie's the better of the two White House Die Hard movies. Um, yeah, I I think I agree with that. Yeah, with, I mean, this one's just tough to watch. Literally, like, there's so much. There's literally invasion on Washington D.C. that is legitimately. I mean, rewatching it, I was like, oh, this is too much. Yeah. I, you know, it, it's, it feels exploitive and I don't know. Not a fan. How to Train Your Dragon 2, a sequel to obviously uh, the movie from 2010. You, I've not seen it. It's not very good. Yeah. I, I liked the first one. Yes, uh, and I remember when this came out, I actually went to go see it in theaters because I liked the first one. And yeah, I don't know. It just, it's a little, uh, yeah, it's fine. Mixed bag. Yeah. 2016 Gods of Egypt movie that got pushed back a couple times. There's a cult following for this. Alex Proyas movie, the guy who gave us The Crow, guy who gave us Iroba, guy who gave us um, Dark City, Knowing with Nicolas Cage, underrated, uh, kind of cool sci-fi movie. Um, I like Gods of Egypt as like a fun B movie. Obviously, it didn't do very well. There's some stuff in it. Gerard Butler plays set. He's really camping it up. He's sort of know, going back into like 300. Yeah, I don't know that he's bit. very good at no. it, but it's fun. He seems like one of the only, I will say, to in his defense, uh, he does seem like one of the only people who really knows what movie he's in. You're playing it operatically. Yeah. London Has Fallen comes out in March 2016. Uh, one of the worst movies I've ever seen, which 
there's a part of me because I have this new love for Jerry B that I want to go see Angels Fallen, but truly the London has fallen of it all does make me question <laughs> a family man barely comes out um i think it's more of a drama movie i've, I've never seen it um geostorm late 2017 another movie that got pushed back a lot uh ridiculous movie i think also kind of has a little culty following i think geostorm so here's the thing um my fiance and i watched movies like this all the time together just big dumb disaster movies whatever and we rented this movie when it was available to rent uh, I'm not really proud of having spent money on it, but I do think it comes from that place of there being like a little bit of a nostalgia for like, like the summer of 96, you know what I mean? Like, like, well, and it's directed the, by, um, Roland Emmerich's writer and producer buddy, Dean Devlin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it, I, it just feels like it wants to, it wants you to think about, you know, that, uh, that time in, in big budget filmmaking. Um, and it's, it's funny. Cause I just feel like between this and um, I don't know. I mean, like a, mo- a movie like this is kind of that this, this thing of people saying like, Oh, you know, that's why they don't make these like gigantic movies anymore that like aren't superhero movies or aren't based on. And it's like, yeah, but you made Geostorm like not like, like what if well, you made also, this but good? <laughs> and they do the thing where they double up. It's there's a presidential assassination plot and this climate change disaster plot. It's like they do yeah. three things to almost like overcompensate for. And what's the name of the computer? Oh, I've no or idea. Dutch boy. Dutch, Dutch boy, boy, baby. No, it's like so. It's not. It's like yeah. a. It's a system that it regulates the climate. Yeah, Classic. Dutch boy. Invented by Jerry B and his brother Jim Sturgis. <laughs> Yo, twenty eighteen Den of Thieves. I really enjoy it. I also enjoy Hunter Killer. Also twenty eighteen. Uh, and then so that was the year for you then. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm the twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen was kind of the Jerry year I was B like, I like Gerard Butler movies now. Yeah. So that's why the Angels Fallen thing is interesting. Uh, this year, The Vanishing we mentioned didn't come out in the states, but is available on Prime. Very entertaining kind of program thriller based on this real thing uh, from 1900. How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, uh, February 2019 comes out. Doesn't do quite as well domestically as the other two, though I think ultimately, yeah, makes over half a billion worldwide. So no one's crying about the How to Train Your Dragon series. And that's it for them, right? For I think that's, so. That's, over, that's what right? I've read. And then yeah. Angels Fallen, like we said, it's out right now. What do we want from Jerry B.? I want fucking Dear Frankie. Like, I want another one of those. It's an easy answer. I was going to say, I That's want... It's such an I, easy answer. I want Coriolanus. Like, I want... Yeah, low-key Jerry B. Yeah, I want low... I want him to dial it back. Because it's... He's certainly, he's certainly got if the you're charm. you're listening, Gerard. Yeah, please. Dial sir, it back. Dial it back. Just rack play it for back. Keeps. Just a little bit. Uh, no, don't play for keeps. But be sure to Corey that Delanus. Play for the field. Uh, I don't know. Play, uh-huh. play for something. Yeah. Um, it... Yeah, I just I I want him to just kind of um you know who I want to work with Gerard Butler? You know who what he like might be good in Tell and me. you're going to you might laugh. I think he could maybe if he maybe didn't have to say anything could be really good in a Terrence Malick movie. Interesting idea. Yeah, I maybe. Like I just idea. I can He's I got could, the face for it. Yeah. He's just For weathered. Sure. He's like a bull. It looks like a bulldog now. You know what I mean? He's got years on him. Um, 
And, yeah. I, and I think about that that whispery little speech he gives in Coriolanus, just like spouting poetry, you know? And I just, I was thinking about it and I was like, oh, that's like, those two things are basically what a Terrence Malick movie is. You know what True. I mean? It's, uh, so I, you know, I would watch that. Sure. That's a good one. And a good one to end on. Now, Gerard Butler, thank you for your movies. We enjoyed your B-sides. I hope to see another Dear Frankie-esque movie, Corey Lannis-esque movie. Terry Malick, if you're listening, get him in there. Any final thoughts? We can find you at Scruffy Looking, Twitter, as always, Film yep. Stage. Cinephile Game is out. Yes. Order it. Yeah. As we of, had a great event yeah. a couple weeks ago at Alma Drafthouse. I met a lot of fans, saw a lot of people, had a great time. I think we're going to be doing more with Cinephile as it's kind of out and doing stuff. Some trivia in New York, some other stuff. Um we're going to have a couple friends, filmmakers on in the next couple of weeks promoting their work that's coming out. We're really excited about that. So, yeah, we got a lot of cool things. Uh, we'll be on our own feed soon enough with a new logo and everything. But until then, thank you for listening. And as Connor always leaves us with... He can't carry your A movie, but he'll jerry your B movie. <laughs> mm-hmm.